Welcome to the OIS Podcast, where you get candid conversations with the leaders and drivers of ophthalmic innovation. And now, here's our host, Tom Salemi. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the OIS Podcast. This is Tom Salemi. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, we're going to take a look at the investor side of the innovation cycle. Uh, we're talking with Emmett Cunningham, of course, uh, OIS co-chair and founder of uh, OIS. He's also a partner at Claris Ventures. And Claris uh, recently closed on $500 million for its third investment fund. Uh, this brings Claris's funds under management to $1.8 billion. And uh, that money will go toward mostly biopharmaceutical deals, including early stage opportunities inside and outside of ophthalmology. But Claris also uh, will be working with larger pharmaceutical firms, uh, helping to manage and uh, share the risk of their clinical development program. So it's an interesting way to do venture investing. The venture model needs innovating, and, and Claris uh, is, is moving forward in this regard. So Emmett Cunningham was kind enough to take a few minutes today to talk about Claris's fundraising and about its plans uh, for the new capital. Emmett, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, my pleasure. Happy to be here. I enjoy talking to you, Tom. Let me uh, first congratulate you on uh, you and Claris on the on the fundraising. I know you're on the West Coast uh, in the West Coast office, but uh, you've got uh, an office back here in Cambridge, and uh, we're pretty pleased to. Uh, See new funds being raised in the Boston area, flagship uh, Atlas and MPM raising some recently. So what insights can you give on, uh, on the, the fundraising process and the environment for, uh, for life sciences-oriented venture funds? Well, uh, first, let me thank you for the congratulations. It's nice to, nice to have that fund raised and to be uh, actively investing. I would say um, the the insights are not really profound. The, the our investors, our limited partners, are looking for for people who have a track record of making the money, making good investments, and being successful at it. I think the firms that have, have those track records have been able to raise funds. It is still, I believe, difficult for the the emerging emerging uh, funds to to uh, or firms, I should say, the emerging firms to to raise money, but for established firms with good records, um, there's money out there to, to be raised and then invested. So this must be a, a great time to be one of those firms to, to have funds, since as you pointed out, there's a, a dearth of uh, venture firms out there that have capital to invest. Does it make your job easier? Uh, yeah, dearth might be too strong. I mean, there are there are a number of, of venture firms that have money to invest, and we syndicate with many of them. Um, but that said, the, the sector has constricted, and there are fewer than there were when I started doing this 10 years ago. And I think it does, on balance, make it a little bit easier to find opportunities. Um, uh, it seems like now that we're very actively investing this fund that we're seeing a lot of interesting opportunities in the in the space. So I think it's a good time to be in venture for us. Terrific. And, and the strategy of this particular fund is, is different than your past funds, correct? At least uh, at the outset, you'll be doing early stage uh, biopharma investing, but you're also working a lot more closely with uh, pharma and biotech venture groups to uh, to manage external clinical programs. Or are you working with with the business development groups? Can you can you talk about that uh, that corporate affiliate strategy? Yeah. yeah, I would say the strategy is pretty similar to what it was in our second fund, slightly different from our first fund. And, and 
the way it works is you you sort of develop or uh, hone an investment strategy, which you then present to the to your own investors, and they, as they see that it's been successful and it's proved itself, that's what they invest in. And so, we're really sort of um, continuing an investment strategy that we had in the second fund. And as you noted, it it kind of has a, a barbell shape in that on one side we're focusing on emerging science, hot science that addresses unmet needs, sort of biotech, high science biotech, if you will. And on the other side, we're doing what we call uh, risk-sharing co-development funding with uh, established pharmaceutical companies where we will um, will fund and in often cases uh, run um, their their one of their or a couple of their phase three programs um, externally. And then once we hit a certain milestone, we'll then uh, sell back or they will then acquire back that asset that's reached that milestone. Um, and that's the strategy we did in our second fund, and it was quite successful, which is why I think we're we're pursuing it again. Oh, I didn't realize that. It, so is this an, an, evolu- an evolution, rather, in venture capital, this sort of dual strategy? Do you see this as a, a permanent change for venture funds that are capable of doing it, or is it an adjustment to the market conditions of today? I would say it's uh, first of all. I would say there aren't many firms that are doing the risk sharing or, or defined exit or uh, co-development strategy. There are some, very limited number, um, and part of that is structural. It took, took us lots of work to set up the structures, the compliance structures, to be able to do those sorts of investments. Uh, part of it is just experience. You know, we've been we've been working in that for a number of years now, and it, it is a little bit off the beaten path for most venture firms. So. There are a couple firms doing it. We do many of our deals with Abingworth, for example, um, but not many are doing that, and, and I think it has to do with experience and, and having had the structures put in place. Um, our The reason we did it was we just saw that there was an unmet need there, that, that pharma companies were pretty much told by their public investors that they weren't doing a great job with innovation, so they had to cut back on their R&D budgets. and. You know, when when you try to cut back on your R&D budget, uh, you just can't do all the programs that you'd like to do. And so we we thought we would be willing to do some of those programs, which is what we've done. That's an it's an exciting development. Uh, I noticed uh, there was no mention of, of medtech in the press release. Has that sector been written out of the formula? I know you've done some medtech investing in the past. At least one company, Restoration Robotics. Uh, how does Claris view the medtech sector? Well, we still look at it, and we will continue to do that, uh, but we will be very selective in our investments in that space. And the reason primarily is that uh, it's very very difficult to make money, especially with uh, PMA-approved uh, devices. It's very difficult to make money in the sector. I was happy to see that Glaucos had such a successful IPO uh, this past week, but they're, they're an exception. Uh, it's not normal that, that MedTech goes so well. Oh, that has been an outstanding, uh, outstanding uh, performance by Glucose, and, and it's a nice uh, lead into the last question, which is just since this is the OIS podcast, what opportunities do you see in ophthalmology? You've uh, you've uh, enjoyed seeing Aero go public. Uh, its stock price has uh, gone up and down with uh, with various clinical news, but uh, what opportunities do you see going forward for new investments in uh, in ophthalmology? Where do they fit into the new fund? We we look pretty broadly across the the sector and follow closely, as you know. Uh, much of that is is with uh, OIS and and uh, in part listening to your your great podcast. 
but I'd say we will follow all aspects of the sector. It's very active on the biotech side with uh, new companies looking at, at targets in macular degeneration and diabetes. Uh, people are now starting to uh, think about neuroprotection trials. Uh, there are still uh, assets out there that are that are looking for um, going forward in dry eye, et cetera. And even the, on the device side, we look at all of it. Uh, we're not sort of shutting off any of it uh, with this next fund. So we're still very active in the sector. Terrific. And uh, looking forward at uh, OIS, uh, public companies are going to be playing a, a larger role uh, in the agenda coming up, aren't they? Well, it's impossible for them not to, since we have so many more of them. Uh, I, I've lost count how many small and mid-cap public ophthalmology companies there are, but there are, maybe there's a dozen or close to it uh, that are out there now. And so, yes, all those companies that we've, we, we were following for the first few years of OAS that were private are now public. And I'm happy to, to learn and to see that they are still interested in OAS and will be there and will be presenting and I think we we we're working to create an agenda that'll meet their needs and that will meet the needs of the audience to sort of give them the information they want regarding those companies and their pipelines. As you know, it's a it's a little harder for public companies to say what they might otherwise want to say uh, in public, just given all the ramifications of that. But hopefully, we'll have a good meeting and and we'll hear a lot of interesting things from these new public companies. Terrific. Well, congratulations again, and uh, look forward to uh, seeing you at OIS in Las Vegas. Yeah, thanks, Tom. See you there. Thanks, Emmett. It's always a pleasure speaking with you, and thank you all for listening to this OIS podcast. Hope you'll join us next week uh, for another tale of innovation. And, of course, uh, go to OIS.net to find out all the information you'll need about our upcoming conference in November in Las Vegas. You'll find registration information there and uh, company presentation forms. So please come attend, please come present, and we'll see you in Las Vegas. OIS is now accepting applications for presenting companies. Share your technology and clinical data with over 800 industry executives, investors, and key opinion-leading ophthalmologists. To be considered for the Ophthalmology Innovation Showcase, apply online at www.ois.net forward slash application.